Words are funny things, aren't they? They're funny things. I mean, sometimes you speak words and they, they come across and do exactly what it is that you intended for them to do. And in other times you go to communicate and it seems like no matter how you try to say it, it just doesn't happen the way that you expected it to happen. The good news is, is that's not the way it works for God. In Isaiah 60, we are told, in, in uh, the book of Isaiah, we're told that, uh, that every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, it doesn't return void but it accomplishes exactly what it is that he set out to accomplish. This is my fault that this isn't working. Hang on a sec. So in in God's economy, when he speaks, in God's vocabulary, when he speaks, he communicates, and whatever it is that he communicates, it goes and it finds exactly what it was intended to do. It grabs a hold of it. It does it. And then it bears fruit. That's what we're told. Unlike these guys, who obviously can't have any connection in any communication. Words are a total gift to us, even though they can be confusing. Words are profound and powerful. You know, when God sent his son to earth, John tells us, when he communicates about Jesus coming to earth, he says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. goes on to say that the Word became flesh. When God gave us the Son, He calls Him the Word. I mean, talk about a, a gift. That's a Word that's a gift. The Scriptures are referred to as the Word of God, even internally. When God wants to create the world, He starts with three words. Let there be. And it is. And when we have been lost because we've ruined his design and we haven't lived within it, Jesus hangs on a Roman cross and he declares our emancipation with three words. It is finished. It is finished. That's our declaration of dependence. And in that moment, he transforms us with words. He creates with words. He reveals with words. He communicates with words. He does so many things that bless us with words. But words aren't just about God. Words are also about us. Words define us. And words connect us to each other. And words empower us. They inform us of things we need to know. But words also reveal us. They reveal us. Jesus says that out of the overflow of a man's heart pours forth his speech. He says that a good man will pull good out of his heart. And an evil man will pull up evil from the evil that is stored up in his heart because out of the overflow of the mouth pours forth the speech. That the mouth communicates what the heart is full of. That's interesting, isn't it? Words initially may not always be the determining factor in whether or not we're righteous. It may be that what the words do is they reveal what's already in our hearts. That it spills over. And people can work to control and try to do certain things with their language, but at some point, if you watch someone long enough, it'll come out. And once it comes out, it's reality. There it is. And the words reveal us. They're a gauge of what's going on inside of us. Words are not only a gauge, they are also uh, very much a rudder. (laughs) James says this, If you uh, look with me at James chapter 3, 
verses 5 to 10. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have, made, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come both come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. I was uh, on Wednesday night. My family, we all went to the Barnum Bailey Circus down at the, uh, the, uh, the what's the name of the place? Wells Fargo Center down there where the Sixers and the Flyers play. And uh, it was an awesome experience. There was, there was uh, one of the most impressive things was there's all these people on a tightrope and this one guy who's standing behind him who runs up and he jumps over them on the tightrope and lands on the other side of the tightrope. Still on the tightrope. Nuts. Absolutely nuts. These guys are crazy. There was these strong men who were doing things that I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And, uh, and there was all sorts of stuff happening. People hanging from fabric on the ceiling doing all this wild stuff and all this... Di- but you know who the craziest person was? Craziest person by far is the person who's sitting in a cage that's about as big as this corner right here, and there's like 20 tigers in that cage. And he's sitting in there with them, and he's cracking whips at them, and they're growling, and they're swiping at them and everything. And I'm like, that's the, that's the craziest man in this whole show. There's no question about it. That guy's missing something, you know? The scriptures say right here, it says that there are wild animals all over the earth that are being tamed. We saw elephants sitting down on chairs. We saw one elephant take its trunk and pick up a paintbrush and dip it in paint and begin to paint on a paper. And then it did another color. And it did it. These animals, these animals are being trained to do all sorts of things. But the Bible says, but what you can't train is the tongue. Try taming the tongue. So much harder than taming a tiger. For periods of time, we learn to control it. But then in the moment, it gets the best of us. And it comes out. And we say things that we wish we hadn't. And the problem is with the tongue. is See, it is out of the overflow of the heart that the tongue speaks. And so on one level, it's just a gauge. But on the other level, see, it's when the things are in our hearts and in our minds and we don't speak them. They're only a reality to us. They're not a reality to everyone else. And we have to deal with feelings inside of us and we have to deal with thoughts in our head. And according to God, He sees a man's heart so He knows what's really in there. And this is why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, He'll say, like, he'll say things like, if you have anger toward your brother, if you hate your brother in your heart, it's as bad as murdering him. Well, that's true. Of course it's true. Jesus said it. However, your brother's still alive. You know? But when you actually kill someone versus just hating them, it becomes a reality in everyone else's life, not just between you and God. And in the same way, the intentions of our hearts and the thoughts of our mind stay in a certain spot until they come out of our mouth. And once they come out of our mouth, they change history forever. They change history forever. 
Once it bubbles up and it comes up from deep inside of me and I try to control it and I try to keep it down, but then every now and then it comes out. And if it's a good thing, it changes earth for good. If it's a bad thing, it changes earth for bad. But once it comes out, you can't get it back, right? There's a Super Bowl commercial uh, I saw this year. Um, I, I was, we were in here talking to people, and in the, I, I saw it out of the corner of my eye, and I don't even know what the commercial was for, but I just remember there was two guys in a cubicle working, and the one guy, he, he, he turns to the other guy, and he said, you know that email that you just replied to? He said, you hit reply all. You replied to everyone who the email was connected to. And all of a sudden, the guy goes running out of the office, and he goes running around, and you see him driving in his car, and he shows up, and he's grabbing his coworkers' laptops, and he's throwing them on the ground, and he's grabbing their phones, you know, their PDAs, and he's throwing them on the ground because he doesn't want them to see the email that he just sent out that he intended only for his buddy, but it went out to everyone. And he's so embarrassed that he's trying to figure out a way to get the words back that he just spoke. But the problem is, is once the word is spoken, once it's written, it's too late. It's out there, right? And, and there's nothing you can do with it. Words, the thoughts, and the intentions of our hearts become reality once they're spoken. And there are days that we desperately wish that we could get words back. But we can't. There's other days where we desperately wish we would have spoken the things that we felt in our heart. And we never said them. And they're a reality to us, but they aren't a reality to those who they needed to be a reality to. Words are powerful. Words are profound. They have massive weight behind them. The Scriptures tell us this. The Scriptures basically tell us that there is a morality and an ethic around words. And it boils down to this. Do my words work to build others up toward Christ? Or do my words tear people down and point toward me? That's the basic ethic. Now listen, we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 4 here. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for, the building, for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Did you hear that part? Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. <clears throat> Get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with any form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The question when it comes to our words all the time is, are we actually helping? Are we building others up or are we tearing others down? Are we building toward Christ or are we building toward ourselves? Is it about me or is it about God? Is this about love where I'm helping them or is this about me accomplishing what, what I need to accomplish? We're, uh, we're told in Proverbs that a word fitly spoken is like custom-made jewelry, like apples, silver apples in a frame, golden apples in a frame of silver. That, that it's a huge privilege to give an apt reply. The right words 
spoken at the right time to the right person in just the right way have more power than just about anything else on earth. Do you believe that? I mean, if you look at your life and you think about the things that have been spoken to you and how they've shaped your life, both the negative and the positive things, what shapes us more than those words spoken to us? You know? One of the most absurd statements ever made was sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I don't know how many times I've been beat. You know, I don't know how many times I've been hit. But I don't remember many, many of the hits, but man, do I remember the words. You know? And they have shaped me. Right? They shape us. So what we're doing today is we're looking at God's design for words. So we're going to have, I'm bringing this grid up here, and we're just going to look through. Uh, throughout Scripture, God has all sorts of designs for how words are supposed to be used. And we're going to look at that and just walk through this with the rest of our time this morning and look at what God's design for words are. First of all, God's design for words is he gives us words for the sake of information. Um, this is about teamwork. We're on a team together. And the scriptures talk about this in terms of the gospel. Remember what Paul says? How will they hear without a... Anybody remember? How will they hear without a preacher? What's the preacher's job? To preach, to give the information, to teach it, to, to say, hey, you need to know this. How will they hear without someone telling them, right? How will they hear without a preacher? Paul says to Timothy, these truths that I have taught to you, entrust them to other reliable men who will also be capable of teaching others. That's information sharing. I have neighbors who don't know Jesus Christ. I would imagine that most of us can say that. I wonder how many of our neighbors know the information that they need. Do they know the information? I mean, there's some things that we can't change about a person's heart, right? But the Scriptures tell us the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. That means that the Holy Spirit works on a person's heart, but the Bride of Christ, that's us, the church, we call out to people and we say, Come. Here's the truth. Without the information... We don't have the teamwork. In a business, there's people who need information. This happens at home. I struggle on this level of communication at times with my wife, you know, where I have, I have information that's helpful to me that, you know, I understand what my schedule is and it would really help her to know my schedule. And sometimes I make the mistake of not thinking of how this information would be helpful for her. And I forget to tell her something. And then something comes up and she's like, did you tell me about that? I'm like... Um, I think I did, didn't I? She's like, I don't think you did. And then I'm like, oh, you know, and it's like that moment. The easy way out when it comes to information is when we don't communicate, we don't care to help. When we only use the information that's important for us, not the information that's actually helpful to another person. And when it comes to love, Information sharing, if I'm only gathering information for my own self, am I now helping others to get the information they need in order to do their job? I mean, if you're in a workplace and all you ever think about is the information that you need to do your job, but you never give the information that's necessary to the other person for them to do their job, then we're not actually loving, are we? We're only focusing on our own selves. Now, so information sharing is a design that God gave us for words, but we need to actually be caring about another individual. Now, the, the controlling way, in each of these designs, 
There's a way to, to, to bail and to go the easy way and to not use things the way God intended them or to use them in inappropriate ways that, that are unhelpful. And this is manipul- manipulative persuasion. Have you, you know how sometimes you can give a certain amount of the information but not all of it? And there's actually an effect. Information is a powerful thing. And, and we learn from information. I, you know, we have, there's technology that's being used this morning. There's uh, sound technology that we're using this morning. There's all sorts of technology. And we learn this. We learn how to create technology because some person learned something. And they pass that information on to someone else who build on top of that, who build on top of that. And information stacks on top of each other until eventually technology continues to grow and the pace of it continues to grow. Information is extremely helpful if we can work as a team. However, if I'm selfish and I want power and control, I'll hold on to certain information and I'll reveal bits and pieces of it, but I won't reveal the whole truth. That can be a form of manipulation and control. God gives us words not so that we can gain a leg up with our information, but so that we can help others. That is uh, a design for for information comes uh, in the form. A design for words comes in the form of information. All right. Now another thing that God has designed uh, words for for connection. There's a stereotype, and I don't know whether uh, we completely agree with this stereotype, but the stereotype is that men communicate for information and that women communicate for connection. Uh, I think we both, we all communicate for all sorts of reasons, but the stereotypes are, are, have, have been put out there. That, you know, that's, that's why we, we communicate. See, information is just about I need this in order to get, you know, if I'm a task-oriented person and I need to get something done, I need the information, but there's a whole other way that we communicate, isn't there? Where we actually need just to talk to someone. It's almost like we don't even, in those moments, it's not even about what we talk about. It's just an anchor to another human being. Uh, something binding us to another human being. It's connection. Now God designs this as a wonderful tool. I mean, if you look around this room right now, and, and don't think of yourself, just think of someone else. If you look around this room, and, and you don't have to look, but if think about looking around this room. How many people do you think need connection? Who needs to have a conversation today? Who's kind of floating about feeling isolated? And God has given us a wonderful tool, words, to connect, to help them, to help anchor them to another human being, to help them feel like they're not alone, that they're not isolated, that they're not just by themselves. The easy way out, of course, is uh, you connect at the lowest common denominator, right? And so if I'm at work and all the guys are talking this way and the connection point, if I'm thinking about myself and I don't want to be isolated, I'll lower the bar of conversation and I'll connect with them on a level of vulgarity or talking about things that are inappropriate and you allow the conversation to go to the lowest common denominator because I don't want to be the one who's isolated, so now I'm not thinking about how to help connect them. Now I'm thinking about how to help connect me. And so in order for myself to feel connected, I'll lower the bar of conversation and I'll lower the level of righteousness in my conversation in order to feel connected. It's the easy way out. It's to talk inappropriately, to use words that we're not called to. However, there's another form of control. And this is when I'm too busy or I'm too cool or I'm too holy to have average conversation with this person. So 
I know there's a person around me somewhere who needs connection, but I'm too busy. I, I don't have time to really connect on that level. You know, I, if, if a person wants to talk shop with me and wants to figure out how to help, we want to do information sharing, then it, and it's efficient conversation where we're getting something done, then, then that's what, the kind of communication I want. But when it comes to just going to someone who has nothing to benefit me and I just go to talk to them, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to talk to them because it feels like, you know, a waste. Or maybe like I really enjoy this level of conversation and when I talk with this person it's not as easy or not as fun so I don't feel like having that level of connection. That's all about me. You know, it's all about me. Or maybe I'm a little bit self-righteous. And, and while I don't want to lower the bar to vulgarity and to all sorts of inappropriate talk, maybe I just won't even associate with a person who talks a certain way. And we get too aloof and too high. Connection, the gift of words and connection, that wasn't for us to be connected. It was for us to help connect others. Remember, the gift of words is a way that we lovingly build people toward Christ. There are people who need us to connect with them. Our job is to look around to find who needs to connect, to not be too holy, too busy, too cool, but to get in there and to connect with the person and at the same time not allow the bar to go too low in the level of communication, but as the Scriptures say, to allow our conversations to be seasoned with salt, to allow the salt of the earth, to allow God, to be a part of our conversations, to fill it up. This is how we have God among us. This is how we talk with God among us. We connect to each other and we allow him to be a part of the conversation. God's design for words is not just information and it's not just connection, it's also affirmation. How many in this room knew Bobby Gauger? Okay. There are some who didn't know Bobby Gauger. Bobby Gauger is a legend at Parker Ford Church. Um, she was with us for many, many years, and she was about this high, and uh, a wonderful lady who gave hugs like she was huge, you know? And uh, she was an incredible encourager. And we lost Bobby just a, a little while ago, not too long ago, and uh, we were grieved, but we were happy that she found home with Christ. Bobby, uh, I remember one time I was a freshman in college, and uh, I think I was a freshman, sophomore. Um, I must have been a sophomore. I was dating Jen at the time. And uh, I was asked by the Union of Churches to come and speak at a sunrise service. We were over at Bethel United Methodist Church. And I came home from school, and I spoke at the, at the um, church service. And I remember even what I spoke about. It was about the apologetics of the resurrection. Talked about whether the resurrection was real or not and how much it changes our life. And I remember speaking that message, and it was freezing cold out because we were outside in the pavilion out there, and it was <laughs> Easter, you know. And but and you know how long I preach, and they and you know they uh, so everyone hung in there. And afterward, um, at, at the end of the message, Bobby Gauger she comes over to me, and this is like I wore a tie then, and she grabbed me by the tie, and she pulled me over, and I was like, and she pulled me right up next to her, and I was like, whoa, what's this woman gonna do, you know? She grabbed me by the tie, pulled me close. And she said, young man, God has given you a gift. God has given you a gift of preaching. And you remind me of these days when I used to listen to so-and-so speak. And it warms my heart to know that God has given you a special gift. Do not neglect this gift. It's of God. You're doing really well. Hang in. Do even better. Keep going. It's a really good gift from God, and it's not a gift for you. It's a gift for us. Use it well. 
She patted me, let me go. I'm recounting that to you because it sticks. Because when words of affirmation come out and hit us at the right time, in the right moment, said the right way, it can change our lives. When we seek to affirm people, we can change their lives. We can build them up. This is what Ephesians is talking about. We seek to encourage and affirm each other. As a church, this is one of our massive jobs as a community, is to find ways to affirm, encourage, and exhort other people. To find the things in them that are good and to affirm that. To encourage them to keep moving forward, to bless them. These are things that we're called to do in the church. Now, there's, there's uh, you know, easy way out is that, again, it's kind of like assume they know, right? I mean, sometimes you can look at people and say there's good things going on in their life, but they know that. They don't need me to say it, you know? That's not true. The, the internal turmoil in all of our minds and all of our hearts is that even if we sense we might be good at something or something's working, even if we sense that we're doing the right thing and something's good, we still need the confirmation of the, of the brothers and sisters in Christ to come up and say, hey, I see what you're doing in this difficult situation. I want you to know you're doing the right thing. And I just, I'm proud of you and we're behind you and we're praying with you. It, it does, doesn't that just do amazing things to us? those moments to that kind of affirmation. But sometimes we step back and we don't want to be real assertive. You know, we don't want to stick out. They already know, and I don't really feel like going out of my way. And we get stuck just thinking about our own stuff. On the other hand, if this thing is used inappropriately, it becomes flattery, right? Where this isn't actually about helping that person grow closer to Christ, it's actually about trying to gain a level of control in this person's life. We actually want them to look at us a certain way, so we'll say things nice just in order for them to look at us a certain way. We're not trying to get them to grow closer to Christ. We're trying to get them to look at us a certain way. The other thing is that it can be caveats. You know what caveats are, right? Where we don't want them to get too far ahead of themselves and we don't want this to have too much positive effect if we have a level of competition with them. So it's like, hey, you're not doing too bad for a total slouch. You know, like, that's like a way of affirming that's not really affirming. And, of course, that's hyperbole. You know, that's, a, that's an, an extreme example. But we can do this where we go to encourage a person, but we're afraid of them feeling too good because of my encouragement. So we actually have to, like, saddle it in this other kind of framework that, that doesn't allow them to actually feel the love of it. You know, that's a caveat, a, a caveated affirmation. Flattery is when it's about me. Caveat is when I don't want them to go too far. Not caring is when I don't do anything. But when I'm obedient, this is what I do. I look around the room right now, and, I, and I'm watching all the time and saying, what are these people doing right? What are my brothers and sisters doing right? Where are they moving forward? Where can I encourage them? Where can I tell them to continue to push forward? They're doing a great job. And it's one thing to say it in response to someone after, right after they did something. So, you know, if someone... if uh, if my mic all of a sudden stops working and the battery, you know, just dies and Jim comes up here and he gives me a new battery and puts it in there, I could say, thanks, Jim, you're doing a great job. Heads up, Paul, way to go. That's good affirmation. What's even better affirmation is when someone who wasn't a part of that whole scene is watching everything that goes down and a day later comes up and says, you know what? We've been watching the work you're doing back there. You're doing really good work. That means a lot more. 
And so it's always good to compliment in the moment, and it's always good to respond to a compliment with another compliment. But the best way to affirm is to consistently watch someone's life and figure out the thing they're doing right and then affirm it. That's the moment when you can change someone's life. All right. God's design for, for uh, communication isn't just flowery and rosy. Um, there's other things. There's this thing, confrontation. Now, my wife isn't here with me today, um, so if I had a big boogie in my nose and my fly was down when I got up to speak, who's going to tell me? You know, <laughs> uh, there, there's a moment when some people will tell us the truth in love and it's really helpful, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and so, hope, you know, if, if Josh is sitting next to me over here and there's something that's going to be embarrassing, hopefully he'll let me know. Another Super Bowl commercial I saw was there was this, there was this guy who was driving down the road and, um, and, uh, uh uh, it was like a woodchuck or a beaver or something was out in front of the road and he swerves and misses the guy and, or misses the little, the little munchkin, you know? And then it says like six months later or something and he's driving down the road and all of a sudden this tree just goes boom in the middle of the road right in front of him and he locks up his brakes, stops his brakes and he looks around the corner and right, uh, the, the road was about to go around a bend and there was a whole flood there and he was about to drive right into a flood and he wouldn't have known it. And he looks over into the woods and there at the base of the tree is this little woodchuck or the beaver or whatever and he's like waving at him. You know, like, and he's like, he just hooked him up. He chopped the tree down to stop him. He warned him of the danger that was ahead of him. That was a way, actually, of kind of speaking the truth in love. This is what confrontation is. This isn't about when someone has offended us. We'll get to that. This isn't about when we've personally been offended. This is when we're watching someone's life and instead of being able to affirm them of something they're doing right, we have to warn them of things that they're doing wrong. And this is a dangerous, dangerous spot. Ephesians tells us this. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ who is the head. It says that in Ephesians 5.19. Or, I'm sorry, in Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. When it comes to encouraging people to move forward in their relationship with Christ, one of the, things, one of the most powerful things is the affirmation. But the other problem is when people begin to wander, so often they don't recognize how much they're wandering. Someone, sometimes they need someone to help them see the light. And this takes a real good friend. A real good friend. I've surrounded myself with some people in my life who I know will do this. And you can't just find anyone to speak the truth to you because some people, they just like to tell the truth. And they don't actually love, they just like to tell the truth. We'll get to that when we talk about this control side of this thing. But when you find someone who you know you can trust and who know who they have your best interests in mind and you know that they won't hold back when they need to say it, man, there's few things like a friendship that does that. I mean, Josh Bitework is one of the guys in my life who does that profoundly, consistently. Who He just says, hey man, I see what's going on right here and you gotta know, I see a little bit of danger, you know? And in that moment, like, the first couple times that he ever told me that, I wanted to punch him in the teeth, you know? And, uh, and that was when we were freshmen in college and I almost did, you know? <laughs> and then, over the years, I realized he's not doing this because he wants to tear me down. He's doing this because he wants to protect me and build me up. I mean, to have people like that in our lives is an important thing. To be a person like this in others' lives is an important thing. 
And you can't just do it overnight. It takes building a bank account in their life. We have to see consistently that we can trust to someone before we can hear the words that are difficult to hear. But when we show that we're willing to be there for them, then we also have to be willing to step up and speak the truth. The movement we come from, Church of the Brethren, is notorious for being non-confrontational. In moments, that's a great thing, where we're not quick to guns. <laughs> you know. In other moments, it's a difficult thing, because we don't speak openly at times about the things that need to be said. When it comes to how we interact with each other, it's imperative that we let people know about the boogies in their nose and their fly being down when necessary. This can go wrong if we let it go, or if we gossip, or if we have sarcasm. One, we don't like to confront. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. People don't like us when we confront them on something. And if it's about me and not about them, then I'm just going to let it go and not say anything. Because who cares? Uh, you know, they'll like me better if I don't say anything. They might run their car into the river, or they might turn their life into a disaster, but who cares as long as they like me? Well, that's not love. On the other hand, we might actually get the courage up to say something, but do it in a sarcastic way, where instead of actually being kind and speaking the truth in love, we do it in some backhanded slap that there's no way the person's actually going to be able to receive that appropriately. But we got it off our chest and we said it, but we're not actually helping them receive it. Or we can just straight up go and tell someone else instead of them, which is one of the worst possible things that a human being can do. Honestly. One of the worst possible things a human being can do is defame the character of one person to another behind their back. I mean, when you look at the Scriptures, when you search the Scriptures, it's obvious. Gossip is one of these things that destroys community. It destroys trust. It kills relationships. Gossip is a brutal thing. There's a very clear picture in Scripture when you have a problem with someone, you talk to them. When you see a problem in someone's life, there's a channel, there's a chain of a way that you communicate to people. Matthew 18 talks all about how we communicate with people when there's a problem. But if I go and begin to talk to the wrong person about the other person at the wrong time in the wrong way, man, it can destroy people. It can destroy things. It's a painful thing. Courage and faith in communication, say that when I see a problem in another person and I love them enough, I will find a way to kindly reveal to them that they're in danger. Our world wants to say, live and let live. They'll live and learn. We talked about this last week. It's not true. Sin is addictive because it has positive affirmation, positive consequences. It feels good when we do it and it gets us hooked. We don't learn from our mistakes when it's sin. We fall deeper and deeper prey to it. The only way we get pulled out is when someone helps us. You know? Takes that. Now the other way we go is when we're shaming and controlling with confrontation. When some people, like I said, they actually just really enjoy confronting. People aren't just people. They're not just friends. They're actually problems to be fixed. Okay? And so this is the person who it's like, oh yeah, this is your problem. You're a nut. You know? Well, thank you. That was really helpful. Now I feel about this big, and I'm actually, you know what I mean? Like that kind of confrontation doesn't actually help. If you don't feel the love from a person, and, and you feel like all of a sudden they're up here and I'm down here, then now I have no hope by which to change the thing you're telling me about. There's nothing that can help me change it, right? And so that's if we, we use this uh, tool of words inappropriately. Now, the loving design. Uh, 
Another loving design for words is reconciliation. Now this is in the moment when we've been wounded. We all get wounded. We all get hurt. Sometimes people smack us with their words. Sometimes people literally smack us. There's all sorts of things that people do. But in that moment, God gives us a tool by which to forgive, to get the relationship back to where it needs to be. Words. Words of reconciliation. Right? Where we go and we communicate our hurt to someone. Now, there's ways. what's the natural easy way out in this thing? If we're hurt, the easiest thing to do is to lash out. Isn't it? In a moment when someone really hurts you, This isn't confrontation about something that's danger for them. This is me being personally hurt. This is where all of a sudden a person who normally is non-confrontational and doesn't like to say it like it is, all of a sudden they're empowered and they're emboldened because I've been hurt and you hurt me. So bam, and we can lash out with words that are rough and are mean when we're defending ourselves. Now all of a sudden I have the courage to step out and say something. Or I say it to someone else. Or I defame them, and I slander them. Gossip, slander. Obviously, these things are inappropriate. These are painful things. The other uh, possibility is that we act unaffected. You know, where someone hurts us, but instead what I do is I'm like, that didn't really hurt me, you know? And I just, instead of actually having reconciliation in the relationship, I act like I'm unaffected, and I let it go. But internally, what just happened between me and that other person? The bridge was just broken, right? And when I won't use my words to go and reconcile, then there's no bridge between me and that person. Now I don't have the ability to connect with them with words. I don't even have the ability to inform them appropriately with words. I certainly don't have the ability to affirm them with words. All the other things that I'm supposed to do with words, I can't do. If I've been hurt and I hold it to myself and I'm not willing to go and work that out with that person, all of a sudden everything I'm supposed to be able to do in their life, I can no longer do because the bridge has been burnt. So I can angry, get angry and lash out and burn the bridge right there, or I can act like I'm fine, but the bridge is not available because my heart won't let it be available. But what David does in the Scriptures all the time is he goes to God, and he says, God, I can't stand what these people are doing. And he gets all mad, and he goes off, and he spills it all, all the angry stuff to God. And if you read the Psalms, that David just spilling his angry stuff to God. And then he processes with God. And then you're at a spot where you can go back to a person, and you can say, Look, I need you to know, this really hurt me. And I can't handle that, you know? Like, when we get humble and we're prayerful and and we say honestly to people, I was hurt, it takes humility to do that. But that's God's design for words. And it gives the ability for forgiveness to take place, for reconciliation to take place. This is the lubrication for our relationships. When we're in a fallen world and there's all sorts of difficulty, if we don't learn this one, then we miss one of the great gifts of how to continue on in relationships even though we're all fallen, right? God's design, the last one we have here, God's design for words is confession. God's design for for words with confession is this, is that uh, sometimes words are for us to reveal ourselves to others. And Whatever's on the inside, do you remember that we started off by saying that words are a gauge of what's in the heart? And that when they come out, they become reality. Have you ever noticed that like, you can have a plan that you're working on, a decision you're trying to make, but once you state the decision, something begins to happen. 
You set it out loud. You begin to say it to someone else, and the decision becomes a reality. This is why the scriptures say you believe with your heart, but you confess with your mouth. Once we begin to say that we believe in Jesus, we actually begin to believe in him more in our heart once we start to say it with our mouth. You say something enough, and you actually begin to believe it. When you hold it inside and say that you believe it here or believe it here, but you don't actually say it, then it doesn't become a reality. The things that are on the inside, sometimes they really need to come out so they become a reality. This happens with sin. The reason we confess sin is because we can rationalize sin in our hearts and in our minds, but once we state it to another person and we hear ourselves say it out loud, whoa, there's no... I I can't rationalize this when I'm telling Dave about my issue. If I'm telling Dave about my issue right now, all of a sudden he's not going to buy the same lines that I'm going to buy about myself. All of a sudden it's like, oh, this is reality. I really am a sinner. Confess my sins and I'll begin to believe it. If I say that I love Jesus and I say he's the most important thing in my life, but I'm not willing to confess that publicly because I'm afraid that I'll be embarrassed or something because someone else might not feel it, I need to state it, because when I state it, it becomes more of a reality in my life. Now, this can go wrong. When it comes to self-revelation, man, there was, um, we can just be reckless in our, um, in our transparency. Have you ever, you, you've known people who sometimes, they just say, hey, man, I'm just one of those guys who states it like it is. I just lay it all out there, and people can deal with it. I don't, I don't try to hide anything. I just say it like it is, and they take pride in saying it like it is. Well, that's a good thing on one level, but there's also a danger. Just because we're willing to open ourselves up doesn't mean we're actually thinking about how that communication affects other people. I mean, I've been in moments where there's people confessing their sins publicly to each other and where a guy will get up and say, hey, I struggle with lust, you know? I really struggle with all sorts of like pornography and stuff. As a matter of fact, there's women in this room who I've had a problem with my eyes. Really? Is that a helpful thing to say? Like, Honestly, like now all of a sudden no one can trust you, you know, and there's, no, there's certain things that don't belong in the public forum. You know, there's certain things that we don't just air our stuff out for, you know. It's important to not just say, because I'm honest and transparent, it's a good thing. That's not true, you know. If it's helpful to other people, good, you know. People do need to share things. <laughs> People do need to actually say things to get it off their chest, but that's what a quiet room is for. That's what a counselor's for. That's what, you know, that's what those types of things, that's what a good friend is for. Now here's the last thing, the way this is used inappropriately, and this is when I actually am self-revealing, but I do it for the sake of pride or promotion or pity, where I reveal certain things. This is kind of like when you hold certain information, the information share, when it's like, okay, I'll share a bit about myself, but I'll only share the things that look good because now you're going to look at me a certain way. Well, that's actually not confession. That's a lie. You know? And here, I'll share all the bad things that are happening in my life, but I won't also tell you about, about the blessings. So you'll have pity on me, but you won't actually, you know, well, that's a lie. You know? And sometimes we lie in what we will and won't share in order to portray ourselves a certain way, in order to be perceived a certain way. All right. So this is, the, this is our chart. This is how it works, God's design. This is framework, okay? So I understand that sometimes when we deal with framework, it's not all heart, you know? It's not all exciting. These are just the rules that God has given us, the design. But there's a good reason why he designed those things. When we live within them, we can have the best possible life that he's given to us. 
These words, they're for our benefit. I want to close with us doing this last thing. I want you to just take a second and think. Think back to when you were a kid. Think about something that someone said to you that stuck with you for a long time. What did someone say that stuck with you for a long time? Are you thinking of a good thing or are you thinking of a negative thing? You know, sometimes words have the ability to change our lives forever for the good. We all know that words can change us for the bad. You know, if someone speaks something and it hits me, it sucker punches me, I will either live my life to define myself against what they just said or it will begin to define me and I will live just like what they said. Either way, I probably shouldn't have been living in reaction to that. But the wrong word said at the wrong time to the wrong person in the wrong way does the work of the devil. The right word said in the right way to the right person at the right time does the work of Jesus Christ himself. Let's be people of positive words in this church who bless others, who love others, who reveal that in our heart dwells the living God. Let's pray.